0: The Word of God I call your attention to this morning is 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 Peter chapter 5. I call your attention also to its context in the middle to the end of chapter 4 where uh, Peter says in verse 12, don't think it strange that a fiery trial is going to come upon you. In other words, difficult times are coming, God's judgments are going to fall, we're going to be partakers of Christ's sufferings more and more, and you need to be happy if we're reproached for the name of Christ, verse 14. And it's in that context that the apostle begins chapter 5 by exhorting elders, and this is the word of God. The elders which are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed, feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords of God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder, yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you, in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, a faithful brother unto you, as I suppose, I have written briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God, wherein ye stand. The church that is at Babylon, elected together with you, saluteth you, and so doth Marcus, my son. Greet ye one another with a kiss of charity. Peace be with you all that are in Christ Jesus. Amen. The text is the first four verses. Let's reread them. The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder... And a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint but willingly, not for filthy lucre but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage but being in samples to the flock, And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Suffering comes, therefore, elders, I exhort. That's the context. That's why I called attention to the end of chapter 4. Trials are on the horizon, therefore, I exhort the elders. The judgment of God falls soon. Therefore, I exhort the elders. The connection between the coming fiery judgments and the work of the elders is clear. And it's important in two respects. First of all, because the judgments are going to fall first on them. And then upon you. And then Upon others. The Old Testament makes that clear. Ezekiel 9, God said to his servants, Begin at my sanctuary. So they began judging with the elders. And Malachi 3, verse 3 says, The Lord will suddenly come to his temple. He's a refiner's fire. He shall purify the sons of Levi, that is, the priests and the Levites, the leaders of the church. When the fiery judgments, not of destruction, but of purification, fall from God, they're going to fall first on the elders. The elders, therefore, among you I exhort. It's important to see that context too because the elders need to be exhorted to be faithful in their work because it's not only they that will be Uh, the subjects of God's judgments and fiery trials, but the whole congregation will be. And therefore, they need to labor faithfully. You see what's happening here in Peter? And do you see who's writing here? The Apostle Peter, a faithful man of God to whom Jesus Christ, the chief shepherd, said directly, Peter, feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. And he took that charge seriously and he carried out that charge by writing two letters. Two letters. One of them, the first one, addresses the evils and persecutions and pressures outside, and the second one, the internal threats to the church, heresy and confused doctrine, and so forth. He wrote these letters almost certainly from Rome a city not unlike the cities in which we live today. And here's a pastor, Peter, who can help us. And he does that by, at the end of his life, as it were, a strong old farmer ready to die, gathering his young sons around him and saying to them, boys, take care of the farm. And now Peter, as an old, dying elder gathers the younger elders around him and says, Brothers, take care of God's sheep. Christ said to Peter, Peter, take care of the flock, and this is how he does it. He writes a letter in which he says, Elders, I exhort you, feed the flock of God. And then before I begin the sermon proper, which has to be short this morning because of the length of the form and so forth, one more comment by way of introduction, and that is, he doesn't say to the elders, now let's come to the consistory room and I'm going to give you some instruction privately that the rest of the congregation can't hear. He says, elders, in the midst of all of the people of God whom you must serve, I'm going to exhort you and give you your instructions, so that you may be stimulated to do your work faithfully, and so that you, congregation, may be stimulated to pray for these brothers, elders and deacons and pastor, because you know what their calling is. Let me call your attention to this passage into the theme, Peter's charge to elders. See, in the first place, the elders' identity, in the second place, the elders' work, And in the third place, the elders' reward. Peter's charge to elders comes from an elder. And so we learn something about the elders' identity by the one who gives this charge. Peter is an elder. And that's striking. He begins his exhortation that way the elders which are among you, I exhort, but I'm also an elder. I say that's striking because Peter was an apostle. Peter was one of the twelve, and among those twelve, he was one of the three closest to Christ, and among all of the twelve, he was the one that elevated to be called the rock upon whose confession the church was built, all of which explains why the Roman Catholic Church elevates Peter to be the pope, and all of the successors of of Peter, the popes today. We don't do that. We may not do that, and yet we mustn't in response to Roman Catholicism's error, diminished the importance of Peter. He was a rock. He was a leader among them. He was an apostle. And this apostle says to the elders, I'm an elder too. I'm one of you. Which means a couple of things. One, I'm going to get down in the pew and sit there and listen to the sermon that I must preach to you because what you need to hear, I need to hear. Very important to understand that. He doesn't belittle the elders. Preachers, the implication here also, are elders. We don't go along the lines of the Presbyterians who say that there are only two offices in the church, Elders and deacons. All elders, the Presbyterians say, are preachers. And all preachers, the Presbyterians say, are elders. We don't go along those lines. We understand what the form says. There are two kinds of elders. Those who labor primarily with the word, preachers. And those who don't labor primarily with the word, elders. And yet, it's very important to see that, preachers, are elders. That doesn't diminish the status of Peter. It elevates the status of elders. But probably the most important application of this, that he says, I also am an elder. I'm going to sit down and listen to my sermon with you, elders, is that there's no one elder that may rule over the other elders. The status Peter had did not allow him to put himself in a position to say, my vote counts for three and your votes count for one. No, Peter was an elder. And in the consistory, every consistory, though there may be a man who has more knowledge than the other elders perhaps carries more weight in certain areas and has a certain respect in the consistory, he is not in greater authority than any of the other elders. I am also an elder. In the second place, Peter says, I'm a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Now, you might not say that helps identify Elders, and yet it does, because an elder must be a witness of the suffering of Christ. How that's understood is not so easy to see, except you see that there are two kinds of witnesses. A witness, in the first place, is one who sees. And Peter saw with his own eyes the sufferings of Christ. He did. He followed Jesus during his ministry. He heard the abuse that was piled upon Jesus. He saw them press that crown of thorns. He saw Jesus die even though he stood off at a distance. He knew what Jesus suffered. And if he hadn't been a witness of the suffering of Christ, he wouldn't have been able to preach as an apostle was, uh, was necessary for an apostle to preach. He was a witness of the sufferings of Christ. And that motivated him to faithfulness too. But a witness is not only one who sees, but a witness is one who helps others see. The word here could be translated perhaps a memorial. I am a memorial of the suffering of Christ. If you travel much to any historical sites, you probably see memorials. Those memorials didn't see, but those memorials help you see. They are witnesses of some historical fact, a battle, or Ground Zero, where the planes hit the Twin Towers, or the Vietnam War Veterans Memorial. That memorial doesn't see anything, but it helps you see something. Witness in that sense comes out especially here. Peter says, I am a witness of the sufferings of Christ. That is not only that I saw them, but you may see them in me. As he suffered, I suffer. And when you see the willingness of me to suffer, then you know that I am a witness of the sufferings of our Lord Jesus Christ. He bore in his body, Peter did, the marks of the suffering of Christ. Well, brother elders, we need to be witnesses of the suffering of Christ in the same twofold respect. You and I, as office bearers in the church, need to have seen with our own eyes in the Word of God the sufferings of Christ, by which we will be motivated to do our work and be faithful. But we also need to be witnesses of the sufferings of Christ by being willing to suffer abuse for Christ's sake so that the others in the congregation may see us as followers of Christ, walking in His footsteps, willing to endure all kinds of grief for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then third, Peter says, he is a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. He is a fellow elder, that's first. He is a witness of the sufferings of Christ, that's second. And third, he is a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. There's a glory of Jesus Christ that's going to be revealed. In the very end, think of that, When Christ appears on the clouds, what are the clouds described as? But the clouds of glory, that's going to be His glory. And you are going to be a partaker of that glory, about to be revealed. Peter says, I'm already a partaker of that glory. And then you think of the time that Peter went with James and John up to the top of the mount that became the mount of transfiguration, they were witnesses, witnesses not only of Christ's suffering but of Christ's glory. And they, by that witnessing of His glory, anticipated what glory was going to come to them and even tasted some of that glory already now. Peter says, that's who I am. I'm a partaker of it now. And I'm a partaker of it by faith. I've embraced the Lord Jesus Christ. I've received some of his blessings already. And those blessings are glorious blessings. Glory is mine now already. And so Peter is able to be a faithful elder of the Lord Jesus Christ, a shepherd, because he's a partaker of that glory. And you elders and deacons, and all of the other servants in the church, really, can be good, faithful servants only if we know something of the glory of God and are partakers of that glory. How can you warn anyone of the miseries of an ungodly life unless you've experienced the contrast of that ungodly life, which is the godly life of glory? How can you instill hope in anyone who's suffering and burdened anyone who has to pay a high, high cost to follow the Lord Jesus, how can you encourage them and exhort them unless you have been a partaker of the glory of God and unless you are able to go to sleep at night thankful to God for what God has given to you in His Son, partaker of His glory. And how can you exhort the members to seek the things above And ignore these earthly treasures and accolades and awards and possessions. Except you know how valuable are these treasures that are heavenly. A partaker of the glory that is to be revealed. The work of the elder is to feed the flock of God, taking the oversight. We're just marching through the text now. We're up to verse 2. Peter says to the elders, feed the flock of God which is among you. God gives to the elders a flock to feed. We don't have time to develop that concept fully this morning, but notice a couple of things. The flock is God's elect church. Whenever you hear a reference to sheep, or a flock of sheep, always think election. Election. And Jesus taught us that when he said in John to the Pharisees, you don't believe because you are not of my sheep. Other sheep I have, they must come in too. He was referring to you and me as Gentiles generations and millennia later. But he in that passage was making clear the point that the sheep are God's elect. And we learn from that that faith is the fruit of election. Only those who are elect will believe. You don't believe because you're not of my sheep. But we also learn that sheep is a reference to God's chosen people. God is a certain number of sheep that are in His flock, no more and no less, and He's going to save them. They're God's heritage. They're his precious possession. Now of that flock, Jesus is the chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus. The chief shepherd is going to appear. Verse 4 says that. The chief shepherd was appointed from eternity to be in that position. The chief shepherd came in time and history in order to do what the sheep needed, die for them. And then he rose again and he returned in his spirit, and he appoints elders and deacons and pastors to represent him as under shepherds. You elders may be over the congregation, but you are always under the Lord Jesus. The service that you give is always with him in the back of your mind and him in the forefront of your mind. Whenever you labor, elders, you always have to ask this question. What does Jesus think about these people? How does Jesus feel about these members? What would Jesus say to them? I, as an under-shepherd, must always ask, yes, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus say. What does Jesus think and what does Jesus feel? That's what I must convey to them. Not what Barry Gritters, Van Baron Flickema, or Van Putten feel, think and will, but what does Jesus himself, we are under shepherds. Members, remember that when these men come to you, Receive them not as Van Baren, Flickam of Van Putten, but receive them and the others as representatives of our Lord Jesus Christ. He cares for you through them. The sheep are entrusted to the shepherds, you are entrusted to them. You are their lot from a certain point of view. That comes out in verse 3, where the warning is given not to be lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. Look at that phrase, over God's heritage. And notice that God's is in italics. It's not there in the original. And notice that that word heritage means literally or is literally The lot, or the allotment. The reference is to the land of Canaan, when the Israelites traveled from Egypt, came into their possession, they received their possession by lot. Probably they put the names of the twelve tribes in a bag on a potsherd, inscribed the name of Judah on one, Issachar on another, reached into that bag, pulled out the name and said, this is your lot. And that is your lot, and they took the lot that was assigned to them by God, their heritage. And within each tribe, the family had a certain part of that. Some had fertile ground, some had nice land that had a stream running through it, was habitable, others had not so nice a lot in possession. Some were close to the life of the people of God, others were at a distance from that center life, but they all received it with gladness because it was what God gave to them as their lot. That's what we think of here when you read verse 3. Don't be lords over your lot. That's a better way to translate that. This is your possession Maybe the elders think of this congregation and say it might be nicer to be an elder in that congregation. You're jealous of their lot, those elders. Or maybe your lot in this congregation, that is your district, is not the district you'd like, but you'd rather have that district. No. This is the portion that God assigned to you this congregation and this part of that congregation, receive it. Receive it. Feed the flock of God and shepherd the sheep who are given to you. Shepherd them, verse 2 says. Feed the flock in the original is really two different forms of the same word. Shepherd the sheep flock. Do everything you do for them as a shepherd of sheep. And you do that in two ways. First, by bringing the Word. That's the green pasture. And second, by being examples to the flock. The Word feeds God's people, guides God's people, comforts God's people, warns God's people. The Word of God is everything they need. Use the Word of God. They don't need your opinion. They don't need my thinking. They need Christ's thinking. It makes me realize that when people ask me who are newly appointed to be an elder or a deacon, what good book should I read to give instruction in my office? It ought not be said sarcastically or in any other way than utmost seriousness, this, this, this is what God's people need. Elders, deacons, ministers must be reading this word because this is the word that the people of God need. That will feed the flock. I know that there are some congregations who refuse to nominate a man for office unless he shows an interest in God's Word by attending Bible study. Now, probably no consistory makes that a law, but somewhat of a standard. We are going to nominate men who show themselves interested in God's Word, by busying themselves in the congregation's study of the Word together, together. By Word and by example. We can't say anything more about example this morning but that. But that along with the Word is how you lead them. And then there are those Qualifications and cautions, but before those, one thing more, you take the oversight of them. Elders are called overseers. That's what the word presbyter means. No, that's what the word episkopos means in the Scripture. And that doesn't mean that you simply have a general oversight, that you make yourself a shepherd somewhat like this and scan the sheep, and see if they're doing all right, and then turn around and do your other work. The work of an elder is, as a shepherd, to go very close, look at all of the sheep, and examine each one, one by one, as to their confession, and as to their walk. What they say, and how they live. That's the word conversation in the form. The word conversation in Scripture and the forms always means how we walk. Children, young people think the tennis shoe converse is named that because converse means to walk. And when the elders are called to examine the confession and the conversation of the people, they must listen to what the people say and they must watch what the people do and bring the word to them accordingly. This is a careful scrutiny. And a careful scrutiny isn't tyranny, isn't lording, it's simply doing what an elder is called to do. I don't have much experience with sheep, but when we went to South Africa, uh, South Africa a couple of times, we visited a sheep farmer who had thousands of acres for many, many sheep you should have seen the careful scrutiny he gave to those sheep. Are there any wounds that you wouldn't see on the surface? Is there any disease that is threatening the flock? Is one bullying the others? Is another bullied by one? Are there sheep who are always on the edge And at risk of wandering off and being eaten by a lion, a shepherd needs to take the oversight of the congregation. Homes, families, marriages, what you do in school, who are your friends, where you work, what is your entertainment, what you eat and drink, your devotions, and your church attendance, and everything else. Not to be legalists, but to be good shepherds of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, to do that, you have to have a good attitude. And then there are those three pairs. We'll briefly mention them, not by constraint, but willingly. Not by constraint means don't serve because you have to, but serve because you want to. And the reference here is not be willing to be nominated, not because you ought to, but because you want to. The reference is rather, now you have your work, and when that work is given you, don't do it because you must, but do it because you will. You want to. And you want to because the Lord Jesus Christ has given to you what you have. In your own personal salvation and in the office that He and gives to you. Now there's a certain compulsion in our work. That's why Paul said in another place, necessity is laid upon me. Woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. In other words, he realizes there's an obligation to do that work. And if he doesn't do it, he is in trouble. And sometimes it's that constraint and obligation and necessity that make us come to the consistory meeting and make us do that visit. And make us go to that committee meeting. But for the most part, pray for the elders and deacons and minister that they do their work, not by constraint, but willingly. Second, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. And even the children know that filthy lucre means money and that no one may serve in an office because he wants money And probably these men are inside themselves chuckling a little bit and saying, but we didn't see anything about a compensation package for us in our work as elders and deacons. We know the pastor is paid, but we don't get anything, so why would we be warned not to do this work for filthy lucre's sake? And there's a point to that. The application probably is primarily to pastors whose full-time work this is and who have a compensation package Listen carefully to the minister who after reads the call letter says, but the salary, or the house, or the expenses. Listen carefully and be very wary when a minister is interested in the salary. A hundred years ago, that may have been necessary. Some churches were not able to pay a man enough for him to live then perhaps he could have said i can't live on that salary but that's not true today so listen carefully a minister does not labor for filthy lucre but elders and deacons may labor for wrong motives too the right motive the right motive is the ready mind of the lord jesus christ asking how can i die for the sheep? How can I suffer for the benefit of the people of God? The wrong mind is, how can I do my work that others might see me and esteem me and speak highly of me? And there the caution is for elders and deacons. And then third, not lording over God's heritage, but being examples to them. Lording the flock is saying, we're going to do it my way. We're going to carry out my will. And it doesn't really matter what the others think. This is the way it's going to go. Lording the flock is just the opposite of saying, this is the will of Jesus Christ. And we together are going to do the will of Christ. Lording is being domineering with force of personality, will, hard words. That's lording it. Don't lord it over the flock. And the danger is because the men who are in these positions are in them exactly because of their ability, exactly because of their knowledge, exactly because of their qualifications, And then the temptation for them is to be puffed up by those qualifications and position and say, now you listen to me, we're going to do my will. Some elders do that to other elders, deacons to other deacons, ministers can do that to the consistory and the whole consistory can do that to the congregation. Peter says, not as lords over the heritage that is entrusted to you, but of a ready mind, the mind, remember, of the mind of Christ, who never said my way, but always led by example, always led by His Word, and led by dying to Himself in order to serve the others. The elders which are among you, I exhort, also am an elder, a witness of the sufferings of Christ, partaker of his glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God, feed them, be examples to them, and know this, that when the chief shepherd shall appear, and he's going to soon, he will crown you with a crown of glory that will not Fade away. That word fade away in the original is very interesting. It's very likely a reference to a kind of flower that didn't fade. Normal crowns were crowns of roses that, as you know, fade very quickly and get thrown away. This crown is a different crown. It's made of a flower, and that flower represented then permanence in Greek history. And even today, look it up permanence i refer one more time to the accolades and praise of men the rewards that you may receive from us at your job at school in sports all of them are crowns of glory but every one of them is going to fade away who remembers when they won the state championship in 1973 they do But nobody else does because it doesn't matter. Who remembers the award you got for this or that in your occupation? It doesn't matter for very long. But this award does. It's the crown of glory. A partaking of all of the glories of God's people that have been merited for them by the Lord Jesus Christ. All of them will be placed especially on faithful elders and deacons and pastors, especially on them. And that crown will never, ever fade away. Be motivated by that, elders and deacons. The work isn't easy. You're going to suffer in it. If you've served as elders or deacons before, you know that. The people of God need to know that. The work is not easy. Sometimes it's because of you that they have to deal with. You and I are not easy to deal with. They go to sleep at night and then they wake up thinking about you and me. That's not easy. It's painful. They suffer. But remember, men, remember what Christ says to you this morning you will receive a crown of glory. Listen to what John Calvin said. I don't usually quote commentators or other men, but I want to. Just a moment at the end this morning. John Calvin put it this way, there are so many hindrances, so many discouragements for the most diligent and faithful. Office bearers often have to deal with the most ungrateful men from whom they receive the most unworthy rewards. Long and great labors often seem to be in vain. Satan sometimes prevails with his wicked devices. So then, to prevent the faithful servant from being cast down, there's one remedy alone. Turn his eyes to the coming of Christ. Whoever you are suffering, however you are suffering today, and will suffer when the chief shepherd shall appear, You will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. God loves his church. Christ is the evidence. And Christ said to Peter, feed my sheep. And Peter, in behalf of Christ, says to you and to me, feed my sheep. And he does. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank thee for thy word. Use it to strengthen these brothers who are newly appointed and the others who've been in office and encourage all of us to be faithful, especially to pray for those who labor among us and esteem them highly for their work's sake. And remember that they stand representing the Lord Jesus Christ. Forgive our sins in our work. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.